Are they simply straight lines, coincidentally connecting important structures, landmarks, and other notable locations in ancient Britain? Or the beginnings of a vast map connecting us to intellects beyond the great beyond? Ley lines. Ley with an E. I'm Claire Marie, and this is Catalogum Mysterium. Developed by Alfred Watkins in the 1920s, ley lines explain his observations that important sites in British towns appeared to connect on pre-existing straight paths. In 1922's Early British Trackways and 1924's The Old Straight Track, Watkins began with the observation that ancient Brits had seemingly connected important places with a network of short and perfectly straight roads. But Watkins then asked the question if it was possible that the roads existed before those important places. The term ley lines comes from both the Old English word ley, meaning cleared space, a word found in the names of numerous locations along Watkins' paths, and lines, which is from the Latin linum, meaning flax, which becomes the Old English word line, which means rope, which becomes the modern English word line, meaning a long, narrow mark or band. And as you may know, lines is the plural of line. And just like modern English, we here at Catalogia Mysterium stop the world and melt your brain. And that's just what we're going to do with you. You see, Watkins meant it all literally. Walk with me. A lay was a cleared space waiting for a line. Follow me on a path. Watkins cited an astronomist whose name you won't recognize as theory that ancient structures like Stonehenge, which you may have heard of, were positioned to align with sunrise and sunset on the solstices. But the construction of such sites was predicated on where it fell on the ley line. Second, he cited the observation of a naturalist whose notoriety is limited to an obsessive audience that a straight line drawn between two major landmarks, the Skiridfar Mountain in Wales and a Neolithic tomb called Arthur's Stone in northern England, which are much less famous than Stonehenge but sound obscurely specific and ring of credibility, would pass through multiple castles and other geographical points of interest between them. To Watkins... These alignments supported the idea that these sites were created in accordance with the lines. Ley line hunting became a fad, a Pokemon app of its day. Believers formed clubs and published newsletters through the 1930s with odd and quirky names I won't share. It was the day of the lay, with an E. Even Watkins himself published the Lay Hunter's Manual in 1927, definitely with an E. But within the scientific community lukewarm on the lay, with an E. Critics noted that structures on alleged ley lines were built at different times and by different societies. Therefore, it was unlikely that they were deliberately aligned. Never mind this argument misses the point. Never mind this actually strengthens Watkins' argument that it is the line, not the site, that's of importance. 
Never mind that the building in different times and different societies suggests different generations and cultures keying in to the efficiency of these lines. And never mind that I have simply made the same argument three times. Critics also noted that Watkins' straight lines only existed when the terrain allowed it. Rarely, and by rarely I mean never, do ley lines manifest when the topography opposes it. There are no examples of ley lines cutting through British hills or marshlands. The critics ask, why don't ley lines even sometimes appear in spite of the geographical realities that defy them? The answer? No one knows. And Watkins' theory fell into disrepute. The line on the lay was lost. But, as they always do, the 60s saved the cosmic way that was the lay. Both with an E and an A. But we're talking about the lay with an E. And that lay was revived in the 60s with a mystical twist as part of the Earth Mysteries movement. What if those old straight tracks were not only already there, but created and hidden in the landscape by someone or something else waiting to be reconnected, rediscovered for the first time? And what if those lines were a source of incredible knowledge and power? Journey with me down this dark path. Let's say the Earth has an energy flowing through invisible meridians, like blood through veins. And let's also say aliens shared knowledge of this energy with ancient humans, including the location of ley lines and powerful energy points. And since we've said that, let's add those same aliens sharing methods for tapping the energy to enable technological marvels. And if that were discovered, let's keep saying stuff. Like, what if the sites were built to unify and draw strength from the power of the lay? Each locale drawing power from the line. Each linked destination working together to strengthen the line's power. And when all of that is said, it becomes easy to say an advanced ancient society built a vast grid over the ley lines, enabling them to contact the aliens and or guide their craft to land. We even have a way to say it and not even have to prove it. Because sadly, as the 60s told us, without showing us, human ills drove the aliens away, and this knowledge was lost to time. Lost to time. A great way to say, I have proof, without the proof. And what's been said cannot be unsaid. There, I said it. Lost to time. And no one said it louder than author John Michelle. He was British. He popularized these ideas in 1969's The View Over Atlantis. Michel created powerful lines of his own between Watkins ley lines and the dragon paths of Chinese legend. He introduced something that no one had ever considered before. According to Michel, and no one else, the dragon slayers of British lore were actually villains who drove away benevolent aliens and triggered the decline of civilization. Repeating what the 60s said with certainty, but never proved. Michelle, backed by readers who agreed with him, suggested the aliens will return to restore our ancient knowledge when humanity is ready in the coming age of Aquarius. Many of the UFO community embraced Michelle's ideas in various forms from the early 60s through the early 90s. Some asserted ley lines marked the natural flow of Earth energy. Others insisted that ley lines direct and channel that energy. But words like assert and insist lead one to believe it's more than simply an opinion. 
A lay hunters club was founded in 1962 because clubs mean something's going on. Lay Hunter Magazine, with an E, emerged in 1965, and various other hunting publications with odd and quirky titles too silly to share followed. But no matter how silly the names, all these organizations believe that by uncovering the created, forgotten, rediscovered, debunked, and misplaced again ley lines, alien contact will once again be possible for the first time in a long time after not having happened before. And if you're not convinced by the experts, check the internet. Videos, maps, and amateurish websites claim to show the locations of ley lines. Believers point to sites confirming their priors. Modern sites built over ancient ones are referenced when it helps to make the case. And lists, tangentially connected and designed to create the image of a preponderance of cases, containing structures repeatedly rebuilt after destruction despite odd or hazardous placement, hold as evidentiary proof that the sites hold special power. Similarly, straight but inconvenient routes that have stood the test of time are pointed to as evidence of ley lines underneath. This proves that the defenders of ley lines were capable of receiving criticism and adjusting their stories to maintain their narratives. Take, for instance, St. Michael's Line, also called Apollo's Line. It unifies religious sites dedicated to the Christian Archangel Michael. Despite difficult terrain, it seemingly connects routes from Ireland through England, France, Italy, Greece, and Israel. It's claimed that these sites align perfectly with sunset on the summer solstice in Europe. Claimed, but debunked. But still claimed, nonetheless. And, despite it all, the liturgy of the lay not only endures, but thrives to this day, as its believers have made a series of predetermined advances to justify their beliefs. Apparently random alignments of important sites are now explained with mathematics, charts, and graphs. Unimpeachable proof that when enough dots are placed onto a plane, eventually you'll be able to connect some of them with straight lines. Most importantly, the time-honored method of close enough, aka the horseshoes, hydrogen bombs, and hand grenades approach, has created a breakthrough. It allows lay acolytes to count sites as connecting if they fall within 50 miles of the proposed ley line. And once again, we return to the great unresolved debate that rages in our modern time. Do we believe incontrovertible, unimpeachable facts, or do we embrace the rumblings of our ready-for-dinner gut? But I think it's safe to say facts have little chance in the face of a genuine apophony. And that is definitely spelled with an A. An apophony is the dark matter version of an epiphany. It's finding the connection that isn't there. A perception of a phantom pattern, a false aha. And if you have an apophony, you might have caught a case of apophenia, what German physicist Klaus Conrad called the unmotivated seeing of connections accompanied by a specific feeling of abnormal meaningfulness. It's one of the first signs of schizophrenia. The more you listen to the cacophony of creation, the more you hear the music in the meaningless. The man on the moon winks. Salvation sits on toast. An invitation is extended to walk through the doors of perception and discover an undiscovered line laid down upon the land. At first imperceptible, then steady as a hike. Repetitively, monotonously, inevitably... You wander down a solipsistic trail into a schizophrenic antimatter revelation. Nothing is revealed at all. Therefore, all is revealed as nothing. And when all is nothing, 
nothing matters. And when nothing matters, everything does. So you see the thing you're looking for in everything, everywhere. And let's face it, a line ain't hard to see, especially when you want to see it. So we'll keep an eye on the lines that aren't there and make sure you stay between the lines that are on Catalogum Mysterium. This episode was written by Adriana Luciano and Jimmy Mack and performed by Claire Marie. Sound, music, and production by Claire Marie Nimenich. Find more of their work on planetclareproductions.com. Visit Snake Pontchartrain on podwheels.com and over at Twitter at Snake Rattle Roll. Listen to Jimmy Mack on Radio Nemo's Dave Nemo Weekends, your weekend 34, from 7 to 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Channel 146, Road Dog Truckin', and over at the Sirius XM app. Please help others find our show by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Until next time, over and out.